The armed conflict in Ukraine has entered its third week. Russia invaded on February 24th, and since then, horrifying stories have emerged of civilian casualties and those trying to flee the war. Several plans to evacuate civilians via humanitarian corridors have failed, and Russian forces have continued to carry out missile and rocket strikes on cities and military targets. I'm Catherine Rice. And I'm Amy Gibbings. And you're listening to The Story, where we'll talk to News24 journalists about the latest on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. The reality is terrifying for those who have not yet fled the country's cities. Russian troops continue their advance, with civilians now also coming under attack. I had the opportunity to interview Kiev resident Aliona Churilova, who gave an emotional account of what it was like to wake up in Kiev on the 24th of February to the sounds of explosions and panic surrounding her and her family. Here's a clip from that interview. You know, I think it's the most terrible thing that happened in my life. Frankly speaking, it's it's very difficult to explain and just to understand what is happening and why it's happening. We now go to Kyle Cowan, investigative journalist for News24, who has been following the conflict closely. Thanks for being with us, Kyle. What is the latest? It's been three weeks of horror in Ukraine. And unfortunately, this week we've seen the Russian forces step up their their war of aggression. And unfortunately, a maternity hospital in Mariupol, which is a coastal city in Ukraine that has been surrounded by Russian forces for several days, was bombed. Um, at least three people have died, and we've seen some horrific images of, of pregnant moms and small babies being rushed out of a destroyed hospital building with a massive crater right next to the building. It's, um, it's something that was quite quite horrible to see. There is movement on the diplomatic front, however, and on Thursday, the leaders of the EU member states would meet in Versailles in France, which is the same location where 103 years ago a treaty was signed ending World War I. So it's quite a symbolic meeting there today. But more importantly, the foreign ministers of Russia and Ukraine are also meeting on Thursday in Turkey. And there is a significant amount of hope that they will be able to, at the very least, if not draw closer to a ceasefire, secure these civilian corridors for people to be able to escape. This has been brewing for some time. Can you take us back and explain just how this conflict started? It starts really in 2008, um, when NATO announced that it would one day consider, there was no specific date given, but there was a, an indication that Ukraine would be allowed to join NATO. Now, this is very important because for President, President Vladimir Putin, the collapse of the Soviet Union, you know, as, is seen as one of the most catastrophic things that could have happened to Russia in, in the recent past. He has described it as a tragedy and catastrophic, and he said that it has reduced Russia's, you know, influence and power as one of these sort of global powers in the world. And effectively, what happened after the collapse of the Soviet Union, these Eastern European countries, you know, most notably Poland and some of the Baltic states, Lithuania and Estonia, were allowed to join NATO. And President Putin has always seen the sort of eastward expansionism that he has called it of NATO as a direct security threat to Russia. Now, you must remember that NATO was established in part because of, you know, the leaders at the time, predominantly Winston Churchill, had seen the threat that Russia could pose to security in Europe. 
similar to you know what Germany sort of posed the threat in, in you know at the turn of the century. So for Putin, the, the expansion of NATO has always been a security problem, and he has always you know raised the specter of you know we have American ballistic missiles that can land in Moscow in eight minutes because they have these forces in Poland, and it really comes down to to what Putin has termed as a security threat for Russia. But there's another part to this. Putin believes that Ukraine and Belarus, two countries on, you know, who border one another, who are part of the Soviet Union, uh, belong inside Russia, that these two countries are culturally and religiously part of Russia. And this is what he has repeatedly said. You know, he believes that these countries should be part of the Russian Federation again. And it looks like this invasion of Ukraine is a step toward that. Of course, the reasons why President Putin has said he is invading Ukraine brook further debate. He has said that he is denazifying the country, that he is protecting Russian speakers, uh, particularly in eastern Ukraine. If you ask Ukrainians, however, the war did not start on the 24th of February. It started in 2014 when Russian-backed forces annexed Crimea, for which you know, Russia was sanctioned at the time and is still a, an issue that it is still paying for. This, then, for Ukrainians, is just a further escalation of Russia's aggression towards their country. What does Putin ultimately want? Kyle, what is his end game? It's not clear what the end game is. Understandably, Putin, from his point of view, wants Ukraine to be part of Russia. But he is facing a far stiffer resistance to his forces' invasion of Ukraine than they had expected or planned for. And unfortunately, what it appears now is that without a ceasefire agreement or you know, some diplomatic solution to this, Russia will continue to slowly and laboriously advance and take over parts of Ukraine. And in the meantime, the fighting will take an unbelievable toll, not only on Russian forces and Ukrainian forces, but also on the Ukrainian civilians who are trying to flee these areas. I don't think that Putin can now step away from this. He has let it go too far. And now to walk away, he would either appear weak or he would have to concede that he was wrong. And I don't think that Vladimir Putin is going to do that. Unfortunately, this looks like the very early days of what could be a very long and drawn-out conflict. That was Kyle Cowan, investigative journalist for News24. Thank you for your time. We're now joined by assistant editor for In-Depth News, Peter Dutoy. Peter, South Africa has taken a very neutral stance on this war. Before we hear your thoughts, let's take a listen to what President Cyril Ramaphosa had to say. So right now the parties need to get together so that we stop this conflict that is now turning to be a violent conflict immediately. And so I call upon the United Nations Security Council to do their mediation work. If there ever was a time in the world where the United Nations Security Council needs to come into its own, this is the time when they must all put their heads together and resolve this conflict so that this war stops. 
Catherine, you, you, you call it a, a neutral response. Uh, I would call it an, an absolute disgrace and a cop-out, the way in which the South African government has responded to this. Um, you know, we're recording this podcast on Thursday, and on Wednesday, the, the Russian forces attacked a maternity hospital in, uh, in the southern city of Mariupol, uh, which is called absolute outrage in the, in the, in the, in the, in the global community. Um, the World Health Organization, in fact, um, have said that they've identified upwards of 12 attacks on ambulances, on doctors, on hospitals, on clinics, um, which, is, which is in flagrant contravention of anything uh, in, in, in the civilized world. It's in flagrant contravention of the Geneva Accords. Uh, and it's, it's quite possible, possible that Vladimir Putin uh, might some, someday be charged with war crimes. So, so, you know, that's by the by. But the bigger issue is that South Africa has effectively chosen to side with a dictator uh, who has sent in his tanks to pretty much eviscerate a, a, a sovereign country. Now, that's something that's almost completely unheard of in the, in the, in, in, in the modern world. Um, and our government, um, you know, they, they, they might have come across as neutral, but in fact, they've now chosen sides and they've chosen sides uh, for Putin and for Russia. Um, and we are now siding with, with, with countries that are considered the polecats of the world, countries like Syria, uh, North Korea, uh, countries like that. And that's who we choose to associate with. So I think it's an absolute disgrace what's happened. Um, and uh, as a South African, I'm pretty embarrassed. I agree. I feel exactly the same way, Peter. Um, in terms of, of the African students, there's been a lot of outrage about the way they were treated while trying to flee the country. Um, you know, Minister of International Affairs and Cooperation, Naledi Pandor, had this to say about their treatment as they tried to leave the country. That African students trying to get through the Poland border were being pushed to the back of the line because they are black and being denied entry in the queue position in which they were in. And this just goes to prove that we continue to suffer the awful blight of racism. And this is the experience of one student who was trying to get out of Ukraine and spoke to News24. She asked to remain anonymous. We're facing so much racism and it's not the best. It's so traumatic. We right now, we're so traumatized. We're trying our best to hold it together so that our parents don't break down wherever they are at home. I, I know the Ukrainians also, they are suffering and everything, but the Ukrainian soldiers and police are treating us in a way that is, you know, we're all just trying to escape and, you know, get to a safer place. Like if we can work together and all go to a safe place together, that will be the best thing. Because right now we already have war happening and now already we have to face another thing, racism at the borders. I mean, come on. Peter, what are your thoughts? It's a peripheral issue, Catherine. I'm sorry. Uh, the bigger issue is that you've got Russia, who is an, aggress uh, an aggressor. Uh, they are waging a war of expansion, uh, an, an aggressive war to, to, to wipe another country off the maps. Of course, racism is wrong. You know, you don't want discrimination, but that's really not the big issue. And I think it's, it's being used as a fig leaf by this government to hide behind. Uh, you know, they're using this as a tool to say or to try and argue um, their position in the public square by saying they're not going to take sides because, you know, black students and African students are being treated badly. Look, it's a war situation. 
more than a million people have fled. A million children have fled, in fact. More than two million people have fled, uh, of which uh, a, a million or more are, are children. So really, I think it's a peripheral issue. Uh, the bigger issue is, um, you know, the challenge to the global order, which Russia is clearly presenting now. Um, the dangers that we have of, of a nuclear conflict, which which seems to be increasing every day. Um, the, 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 the West, led by NATO, who seem to be unable to keep Putin in check. Um, you know, so South Africa, really, we've relegated ourselves to the sea league globally, Catherine. Um, we aren't a big player in the world. We aren't. We don't have a moral voice. We don't have an authoritative voice to intervene in this. No one really cares what South Africa thinks. Um, we've, we've, we've ostracized ourselves from our European and Western friends uh, whilst we choose to side with Putin and Russia who really don't give a damn about us. Um, you know, and if Naledi Pandor and this government spends their time, um, you know, issuing statements about peripheral issues like this, you know, as it shows you how deep uh, and how far gone we are on the world stage. Well, exactly, because, I mean, the impact of this war is already being felt on the global economy, and we're certainly not going to escape that. How is it going to impact South Africa? Look, uh, we're going to see oil prices rise. We are in the midst of, of, of a load-shedding crisis. Um, if, if, if oil prices rise, then petrol prices will rise, uh, then transport costs will rise, um, food production costs will rise, and that will all uh, be shifted onto us as the consumer. Our, 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 our costs of living will skyrocket. Um, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable for us. Um, but, you know, um, we, we, are a, we are a very small economy. Uh, we are fully integrated into the, into the world's economy, which, which means we're exposed to the vagaries of rising and falling oil prices, gas prices, um, you know, uh, countries buying up dollars, um, because it's, it's, it's the safest bet at the moment, which means money will leave uh, uh, developing economies like ourselves. So we're in for a rough ride. Whatever happens in Europe, whatever happens in Ukraine, we will feel it here on the southern tip of Africa. Challenging times indeed. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. That was Peter Detoy, News24 Assistant Editor for In-Depth News. I'm Catherine Rice. And I'm Amy Gibbings. Join us again next week for The Story.